Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be back here with you this week, conservative conversations about personal and spiritual growth for the recovering insecure attachment type. And today I've got a fantastic episode for you all about grief and healing my perfectionism and Honestly, I mostly talk about perfectionism, but the whole point of it, the whole thesis statement is that while we're healing, we're all grieving. And I just wanted to honor that with a podcast episode today because I really, truly felt it this week, like deep down in my bones. So we're definitely going to get into that in this week's episode. As always, I've got my weekly check-in with y'all and I'm seven months pregnant. It's, you know, second trimester. People talk about how amazing it is. I have to agree. I have to fully plus one, double click, tap up, all, all of that. Like second trimester, fucking rad. I'm a little scared to go into the third trimester. <laughs> You know, second trimester, I mostly had like my symptom, like the issues that I was having was like a little bit of plantar fasciitis here and there. But now it's like that plantar fasciitis is moving into carpal tunnel in my hands. And now I'm like really having to take deep breaths because my uterus is pushing up against all my organs. And I think my lungs are getting squeezed. My belly is so big that I'm kind of almost don't have that many options for my clothes, which I know, easy fix, go shopping. I'm not in love with maternity clothes. I'll be the first to say, I'll be the last to say it, let's be real. I'm just, I'm not impressed with them. I got a gripe, okay? Literally, the month that I got pregnant was one of, like, it was the first month where I was like, I have got a banging fucking wardrobe. Every day, I've got a sweet, dope outfit that I'm obsessed with. I know that I can walk to my dresser or my closet and find something that I'm going to love that's like appropriate for whatever event I'm going to. It's going to fit me. It's going to make me look amazing. Shout out to New Works, my favorite brand. It's You can basically see me in their clothes every single day. Lots of jumpsuits, lots of pattern, lots of color. I mean, it's amazing. I also have to give a shout out to Suzanne Merrick. She's the aura color coach and intuitive. And she has just like, she's just go follow her. She's got amazing fucking content. That's very body positive. It's all about loving your body, taking a selfie, an out the door selfie every single day, which I just love, like celebrate what you got. And she talks a lot about how to build your closet. So she's on Instagram as aura where NYC, A U R A W E A R N Y C. She's amazing. Highly recommend She's been on this podcast. Look it up. I can't tell you what number it is, but she's awesome. So she's got this whole philosophy of like, rather than not spending money in your closet, like set aside a hundred or $200 every month and buy something nice, like buy one nice piece and you can slowly build your wardrobe over time. I've kind of been doing that like here and there, but I haven't necessarily been committed to it is what I'm trying to say. 
But I did, you know, try to listen and say like, okay, let's just buy, let's consolidate instead of going to like Forever 21 and buying like 50 dope ass new things that to be fair, I know that's not great for our environment, but I do wear them for a long time. She was like, buy one nice piece. So I've been doing that very easy to do through New Works because they have dope pieces. I'm obsessed. You can check them out at N-O-O-W-O-R-K-S on Instagram or on, on the dot coms. So I had this like banging fucking wardrobe and I was so excited about it. And then of course I got pregnant, which I was also excited about and, but scared for all the changes my body was going to go through. Then I watched Lizzo's big girl competition on Amazon. Highly recommend nominated for six Emmys. So body positive, so much there. I loved it. I'm obsessed. I was like, okay, I'm, I can like come to terms with my changing body and I can really like come to accept this, do some mirror work, you know, do a lot of different things to talk positively to my body. And then I go shopping and I'm like, really? <laughs> Does everything have to be a fucking Empire Prairie shirt with like a paisley pattern on it? What the fuck? I'm, you know, I just, oh. <laughs> I just want my cute clothes in my maternity section. So that's that's my reality. And thank you for listening. I feel very heard, very validated right now by sharing this with you. If you have any pointers, please hit me up on the Instagrams. Send me a DM. If you've got a company that you fucking love and you think I should check it out, must have plus sizes. Must. That's an absolute must. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram. It's me, Sarah Cohan. S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. I would really love your help with that, T-B-H. That's what's going on with me. I'll keep you updated as as the months go by and hopefully as I find my dope-ass maternity clothes. I am. I talk a little bit about this in this episode, but I'm currently doing an integrated attachment theory coaching training with a personal development school, and I am up-fucking- It's taking my attachment theory knowledge to the next level. I'm learning so much about myself. I'm triggered. I'm like so triggered when I'm learning, (laughs) which is great because I'm like, oh, I have so much to learn. I have so much to process. This is so amazing. Especially when I'm like, um, every time I hear about the dismissive avoidant, I'm like, yep, that just describes me. Like I feel like I've swung so dismissive avoidant, which, you know, COVID, being in a, a relationship with an anxious preoccupied, like all those things make sense. Also, when you're healing, you, you tend to, um, as a fearful avoidance, swing from that anxious, more anxious side to dismissive avoidance side as a mechanism to start to set boundaries, to be like little baby boundaries that are, that would accurately describe me for sure. So I will be sharing more about that as I go along with, in this program. And I'm just, I'm having a blast. It's so fun. So as always, so excited to be here. Please, please, please share this episode with a friend, especially if they're doing any sort of reparenting or shadow work. This episode is for you. This episode is for them. And please, 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 if you have a moment, leave a review in the Apple Podcast app or in Spotify. You can rate the show, leave the review. Let me know what you love about the show. I would love to hear it. All right. I think that's it for today's check-in. Thanks for being here. You're amazing. And let's get into this week's episode.
All right. So today we're talking about grief. Grief's a tough bitch. I feel like she's made up of one part victimhood, two parts tears, five parts blame, and then a whole lot of 10 parts of just straight up dissociation. I was recently doing some work on perfectionism and grief came up and I was like, hey, old friend, I love you. I miss you. It's been a while. And also you're back again. (laughs) This is a familiar feeling. And I need to start to honor the fact that you're part of my healing process. And I've heard this from several people before. It truly is, I think, the when you experience grief, that's the moment that you're actually healing. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that today. <laughs> Sorry, I am already out of breath because I am almost seven months pregnant. So we're just going to breathe through this together. I'm very excited. I'm so excited to be here with you today, as always. So we're just going to breathe heavily through grief while I'm sharing. (laughs) But man, grief loves to be protected. Grief doesn't like to be said hello to. Grief is just a fucking tough ass bitch. So yeah, so I wanted to share what I was doing this week for some reprogramming around perfectionism, how grief came how I knocked on grief's door because grief did not come and knock in here. Okay. I had to go find grief. And what happened in that moment when I found grief, because it was, it was just, it was so freeing. It was incredibly freeing. Okay. So I've been taking this course on perfectionism. It's with the personal development school, which I'm also getting my attachments coaching certification from right now as well. It's run by Thais Gibson. She's amazing. I'm obsessed with her. This course has been wild. So I am now truly understanding. I'm just going to talk a little bit about perfectionism right now, even though please know this episode is about grief. So (laughs) perfectionism is pervasive. It is a part of every fiber of my being. It's how I've completely created my attachment to other people. (laughs) It's how I've created my value, my sense of value for myself. It's important to me to really start to identify as perfectionist, even though if you listen to last week's episode with Tani, she talks about how we don't want to identify with labels and diagnoses too much because we can get a little bit too attached to them. So I'm coming at you from the other side right now of like, actually, sometimes a label diagnosis can be super helpful if you're given the right tools in the right moment to also heal and use it as a tool to climb out of the manhole rather than pull the cover over and just use it as armor to shield myself from the world. So in this course, I have really realized that I'm truly actually perfectionist. And I've said that before, just kind of like offhandedly and like made a little joke about it, but like didn't actually realize how deeply the perfectionism goes. So (laughs) I'm just going to talk about the perfectionism. And the moment that I had the grief was when I realized that I am actually using perfectionism as a tool to gain love and acceptance from everyone around me, from the world, from friends, from relationships, from my family, every single person, my boss, my coworkers, my Instagram, my listeners, you're, you're involved as well. It's been this like huge realization and coming to terms with the fact that (laughs) 
I'm putting so much pressure on myself that no one else is putting on themselves. This is all me. This is all self-inflicted and I can choose to live in a different way. That's like the most powerful thing that's come out from this. So let me talk a little bit about perfectionism. It's literally pervasive. It's all encompassing. It for me started as a child. When I think back on my childhood and why I have these perfectionist controlling tendencies, it's because I have this deep need for love. My sweet, sweet, sweet aunt who lives in Reno, (laughs) don't know why that's important, felt like I had to share, has always told me, she's always said, Sarah never got enough love in her childhood. And I, you know, it was one of those things that just kind of like, I was like, damn, that's a weird ass thing to say, but like kind of hits. And then over the years, I'm like every healing tool I'm using, I'm like looking at that quote again and being like, what's true about this? Like, why is this still sticking with me? And when I think about perfectionism, I go straight to that quote of Sarah just didn't get enough love in childhood. I wanted it all. (laughs) There was never enough. And I used perfectionism as a way to gain love and to gain acceptance, to compare myself to my sisters when I was little, because that's what my community was, that later changed into coworkers, to, to make sure that I was being perfect in every way so that I could get love from my parents. So I'm kind of on autopilot. Or I've been on autopilot with perfectionism. It's how I talk to myself. <laughs> I've been magnetizing situations that foster perfectionism in my life because I'm comfortable bringing it out and therefore I'm finding situations that have encouraged me to be perfectionistic. So I have to say it also really started as a kid in ballet. In ballet, everyone out there that's a dancer, all you folks, you know what's up. Every single part of your body has to be in a perfect position. And I loved that. I think I loved thinking about that cohesive first position, second position, fourth position, fifth position. Like I I loved it. And also I think that I was drawn to it because I wanted to be this perfect, gorgeous, cute little girl with a perfect little bun, wearing all of her pink tights, doing ballet. There are some really great things that came out of ballet. So I don't want to knock ballet. There's, uh, you know, a lot of wonderful things that I learned through it. Hard work, dedication, creativity, dance, somatic movement, all of that stuff. Taking care of my body, eating healthy. Like there's a lot of good things. But perfectionism, oh my gosh, is hidden in like every single part of ballet. So that's another place that it starts for me as a kid. One, I love for my parents. Use perfectionism as a tool to get it. Found myself loving ballet. Probably was magnetized to it because of its required perfectionism. And then I just kind of started taking that perfectionism with me all through school, through high school, through college. In high school, I really started having a lot of body image issues. I really wanted to have a real thin, skinny body. I, you know, tried to do some control of my eating. That didn't really pan out. But you know I tried. You know I tried. It's not healthy. I'm not suggesting that any of us should do this. I was curious. (laughs) And I definitely started to develop a very shamey method of talking to my body because nothing was ever enough. And especially because I grew up around ballet. So, you know, the real thin body. I mean, like I've got boobs. I've got hips. Those both sprouted around 12 years old. 
and I really wasn't fitting in with the mainstream body type of ballet anymore. But I still, even though I knew I wasn't, <laughs> I was not going to be that type of body. I still was trying to shame myself into being that type of body. And honestly, I didn't really heal that until like many years later. It definitely showed up in college with class. I did a lot of self-sabotaging. Like if I wasn't going to get an A, then I would just stop showing up to class. And then I was like, well, I didn't really put in a lot of effort. So I shouldn't feel bad about these bad grades that I'm getting. <laughs> Talk about self-sabotage. And then, of course, because I was getting bad grades, I would like berate myself for not doing very well. And then just try to brush it all off and do it all again the next quarter. Blech. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. I know I am. If you're enjoying the Lit AF podcast, I humbly ask you to make a financial contribution to the Lit AF tip jar. Your support will help make this podcast happen. Financial contributions help to cover costs like podcast hosting site, podcast recording software, and it also helps us to pay our amazing, talented podcast editor that brings us these sweet episodes every single week. Monthly and one-off donation options are available, and we've got some sweet thank you gifts for everyone participating. If you're interested in making your financial contribution, please visit sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Now back to this week's episode. Thank you so much. After college, I started a career in nonprofits and nonprofits are like perfectionism central. There's, especially in fundraising, there's no room for errors, no room for mistakes. I actually had a coworker get written up one time for a mistake that he made in the database that we were using, which is like insane. I can't even believe those, I'm saying those words, but that was just normalized in the nonprofit work that I was doing. And so I personally had that high level of perfectionism for myself. And so I put myself into this career that mimicked that and expected that for me because I felt like it was normal. And then in my late 20s, I started getting into improv. And this is where we I see some really interesting, like my relationship with creativity and perfectionism. So if I did a show and I didn't feel like I got enough laughs or if my scenes weren't good enough or if the audience, I, I remember I used to tell myself, my friend all the time, I'm like, oh, I really like that scene, but I, you know, the audience wasn't laughing. I don't think they really liked it. And she would just say all the time, like, just because the audience isn't laughing doesn't mean they're not having a good time. Like they could actually be really enthralled with what you're doing. But I, I like needed that love from the audience in the form of laughs in order to validate myself. So much external validation in these stories. If I didn't do well, I would just guilt and shame myself after the show. And you know what I would do is the shows usually ended around like 10 p.m. or midnight. And I would go out afterwards and I would drink to like numb. And then I would come home, I would get in bed, and I would ruminate on every single scene that came through my head. And I would be like, oh, remember that time that you didn't do this line very well or you didn't get the joke or someone cut or like edited the scene before you could get to your joke. And it was just like 
I would spend hours just ruminating on the scenes. And this is a huge theme with my perfectionism is ruminating. So another place that perfectionism shows up for me is in relationships. And this is a weird balance of rumination and control. So in my love life, it really shows up as control. Like I'm constantly, and it's secondhand. I don't even think about it. It just, I'm like, we have to do things my way. Like we have to do the plans that I want to do. And instead of setting boundaries, which is part of the perfectionistic problem, I would try to manipulate others or still do sometimes, to be quite honest. I manipulate others into doing the plans that I want to do or trying, like I used to, back before COVID hit, I would go to like five parties in one night and I would just try to get everyone around me to go to each of those parties with me because I didn't want to have FOMO and leave people. Again, needed that love and acceptance. And I would just try to manipulate people into like continuing to party all night long and go to each of those different places with me instead of just saying no or living in the moment, (laughs) not thinking about having to go to the next one. Yeah, I was just, I was really trying to do it all, which is a lot. So that's where the control manipulation comes in a lot. And then um, with relationships with almost every single conversation that I have, especially with like coworkers, bosses, new friends, new friends, I will ruminate on the conversation and think about what I am, like how I could have been funnier. Was I interesting? Oh, they had an interesting reaction. What did that mean? So it's also kind of tied into the hypervigilance of a fearful avoidant as well. We got a lot of things piled on here, you know what I mean? But I'm just trying to share like what my perfectionism tendencies look like because I did not understand that this was all under the umbrella of perfectionism. I really thought of perfectionism as like someone that couldn't make a mistake, although that technically still is me. (laughs) I just thought of like, oh, that's someone with like OCD or something like that. That's really how I looked at it. But no, it's me. (laughs) By the way, it's me. Doing all this reprogramming work with the personal development school, one of the questions in the program is, why did I develop this habit? Like, why did I start to be a perfectionist? And the answer hit me real fast, real quick. And the answer was, it's because I I do it because I want love, because I need love, because I need that acceptance. And I immediately started bawling. And I mean, just like full shudder. Like when I think about the moment it took to get there, that fact, that truth is buried under so much shielding, so many blocks, right? So many different tools that I have built as a young age in order to shield that wound. Let's count them. Okay. So I want to be loved. That's at the very, very bottom. I'm going to control the conversation so that everything goes my way and everyone thinks that I'm super, super funny. When the conversation's done, I'm going to think about how the conversation went and I'm going to ruminate on every single moment of it and dissect my contributions at every moment and then also pull apart their reactions to see where I stand in their viewpoint. And then 
on top of that is the guilt and shame that I'm putting on myself, which is once I start, once I'm pulling apart the conversation, then I'm like, oh, you fucked up there. Or, oh, you fucked up there. Or, oh, that the part didn't land. So we've got like three layers of old programming built on top of this very strong core wound of I want love. And the simplest thing, could I, I could just ask for the love or I could just love myself and I could validate myself. There's so many other tools I could do that are like a little healthier <laughs> than these three things, right? Or I could just say the boundary or I could just say no to the next party. There's so many different options. So thinking about this perfectionism and I'm just find myself crying in bed and because I do all my reprogramming work in bed. I know the bed's just for sleeping and sex, but like it, this is my happy place. Okay, just give it to me. So I'm in bed crying and I'm just thinking to myself, holy shit. I know that whenever I'm doing reprogramming work and I start crying, that I've hit something real. Like that is like, that's when I know I'm doing the real fucking work. So I want to talk to you about this today because first of all, I always want to celebrate crying because clearly that's when we're doing the work. But also I wanted to talk about grief because that's what I was feeling in that moment. I was literally crying for all those moments when I wanted love and I didn't get it. When I wanted love and I didn't know how to ask for it. When I was guilting and shaming myself for not participating in the conversation in the perfect way in order to get love. And that's just like years and years and years of not getting what I needed. Finally coming bubbling up to the surface and I was like, holy shit. Whenever we're doing reparenting, whenever we're doing shadow work, both of these tools are actually tools to help us with that grief. But it's, you know, really well done, excellent tools <laughs> that do that in such a gentle process, which is amazing. So it made me realize that when we're reparenting, what's happening is we're talking to our inner child, whatever age she is. I think this one, this one's probably about five. And we're telling them like, hey, I'm listening now. What's going on? And I'm going to, I'm going to let you share it with me and I'm not even going to react or like, I'm going to let you react however you want to react. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to control the situation. So when my little five-year-old got to finally grieve, there was this amazing magic fucking moment. And I feel like in shadow work, oh my gosh, when we're doing shadow work and we're pulling apart why we're judging someone else for doing certain things. And then we get to the part where we realize, oh shit, we're judging ourselves. And then the next step is, why do I judge myself? What do I actually need? And then you get to that moment of like, I needed this. I need this now. And, that, and then, you know, usually when I start doing that, usually when I'm doing shadow work, I'm either bawling my eyes out by the beginning <laughs> or by the time I get to that, what did I need? Then I'm like, <laughs> I just, I needed all of this and I didn't know, you know? So grief is really what I want to talk about because it's shielded. Grief doesn't like to be touched. Grief doesn't like to be poked. Grief doesn't like to be woken up. Like grief wants to just be by itself, like all on its own. And I respect that. I respect that because it also kind of shows you how sacred this is, right? Like how important it is to do. 
But when we're finally getting to the layer of grief in our healing, that's when we know that we've touched on the thing, like the actual fucking thing that we needed or we still need. Because if we need it as a child, like obviously we still need it as an adult. (sighs) So I just want to say I support you in your grief work. It's almost like that's what we should just be calling it because it is grief work. It's pulling up all this shit and like grieving over it. And like no one wants to do that. You know, and the other weird thing about all of us too is that it's not weird. It's totally normal actually. When I think about grief, I usually think about a person that's passing or has passed or a moment that's already gone or an old job that I used to have. Like it's usually in the past, right? Or it's missing somebody. But in this work, we don't necessarily think of grief. Like we don't think connect grief, the concept of grief to this inner child work or to this core wound healing really is what's happening. So I'm going to go back to this again. I want to celebrate you and your grief work. I want to celebrate understanding that we all got some grief We all got a little inner baby inside of us that didn't get something that they needed. And what they needed is definitely different for everyone. Your story is probably very different from mine, but it's equally valid and it's equally important, especially when we're doing this work. So I salute you. Keep on keeping on. If you feel called to share your story of grief work, I would absolutely love to hear it. I want to hear what's going on with what you're grieving, what you didn't get as a kid, what you wish you got. And if you aren't ready to actually say it aloud, that's totally okay. Because this shit likes to stay buried down fucking deep. Could get a big old shovel for that shit. And that's tough. But you're doing it and it's not easy. So I salute you in your grief work. Keep it up. You're amazing. Please remember, I love you so much. And what's going on? We're going to be back next week with an amazing coach. She's going to talk to us about productivity and how to let go of it. Phenomenal conversation. I'm really excited about it. All right. Until next week. Thank you so much. That's it for today's show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple Podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And please share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. Of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. And if you're interested in supporting the show and being part of the Lit AF community, Join our Patreon by visiting sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week. <laughs>